The Gospel of John tells us about the trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus if he was a king, the king of the Jews. And Jesus replied, you're right in saying that I'm a king. For this reason I was born. I came into the world, he said, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate then asked that famous rhetorical question, what is truth? What is truth? Standing before Pilate was the way, the truth, and the life. Standing before him was truth incarnate. Purity and righteousness stood before Pilate, but he couldn't figure out how Jesus really was. And at the end of this mockery of a trial, Jesus was condemned to death because Pilate and Pharisees didn't really know who Jesus was. What is truth? That's the question that we've been looking at these last seven weeks after we started this series on truth. We've found several answers. Today we have another topic, the truth about government. In two days, we will vote for the 45th president of the United States. We will also cast votes for a new senator to represent Virginia and United States Senate and representative to go to the House of Representatives. So this morning, we've distributed some voters' guides uh, so that all of us could have a summary of the values, the positions of the top four candidates on Tuesday's ballot. I hope that you will pray about this decision, that you will vote for the candidates you feel have the highest standards and the best character and the best leadership abilities. This is an incredibly important election to our country. Now, some Christians get uncomfortable when we talk about politics. They just don't want to have that brought up. Some just don't want people to get agitated to fight over political issues, and so they just avoid the topic and don't go there. Some think that Christians have no business getting involved or uh, associated with political matters because we're not of this world, so let's just leave that out of it. We're talking about heaven and hell, and what happens in this earthly world doesn't matter. Some Christians just get really uncomfortable. Most of us are just tired right now of all the mudslinging, of all the lies associated with the campaigns. This year, I know without a doubt that all of us are going to be glad that the political ads that we're bombarded with 24-7 are going to be done with. Wednesday, there will be no political ads on TV. Anybody want to say amen? <laughs> yeah, see, I knew that would happen. <laughs> there are laws, however, about churches and politics, about preachers and politics. New Hope Christian Church cannot endorse any particular candidate as a body. I can't endorse in my official capacity uh, some candidate. But does that mean we can't have opinions? Does that mean we won't vote? No. And it doesn't mean that we can't talk about that here at church. This whole idea of the separation of church and state we need to talk about. Somehow it's gotten way out of line. I don't even know how it happened, but the phrase itself doesn't appear in our Constitution, the separation of church and state, but some people claim it does. And they claim that it means that the church should stay out of government, stay out of the way. And yet, that is not the truth of it, that these two things should never mix. That was not what is said. In fact, the truth is the Constitution says 
government shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's what the Constitution says. In other words, what it says is, government, stay out of the church's business. Not church, stay out of the government's business. And that has been so reversed today. Our forefathers who wrote the Constitution and Bill of Rights were not trying to restrict the free exercise of religion in any way. And rather, they just didn't want to create a state religion like England had done, like France had done, like Germany had done. There are believers who believe that Christians have no business involving themselves in the political process by even voting. Christians shouldn't vote, some say. Then there are believers who believe that it is both lawful and appropriate for us to vote. So what is right? What is the truth? Well, the truth is the Bible doesn't talk about voting. <laughs> so we can't even say that about that. What does the Bible say? It doesn't say anything. Because the people in Bible times didn't get a chance to vote. They didn't have the privilege that we have today. But one thing is certain. We who are Christians are not of this world, and yet we still live in it. Our home is ultimately heaven. And yet we are called to be salt and light in whatever community and whatever nation we find ourselves living in. We must obey and honor God, first of all. But that will, by necessity, impact the people around us whose lives uh, we are trying to influence for God. Being citizens of heaven does not minimize our responsibility here on earth to live for God in a way that will lead people to him. If we live for Jesus, then we've got to stand up for whatever is right, whatever is true, and whatever is good. And that's why what is truth is such an important question. With this election just two days away, we need to know the truth about government. How does God see government? What is its purpose? How do we know when government is doing its job? How do we know when a change in government or the leaders of our government may be warranted? Our main text this morning is in Romans 13, so you may want to turn there or just follow along on the screen. Here's what Paul said to the church at Rome. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. The first thing we need to understand, what is government? What is the truth about government? Is that human government has been ordained and established by God. God has established and ordained three institutions. The family, the church, and the government. That is true. It's been true for all time. It will always be true here on this earth. These 
Three institutions are to exist in every society for the good of mankind. Established simply means that the idea is God's. It originated with him. What if a government is bad? What if a family is bad? What if a church is bad? Did God then establish bad things? No, God established the idea and the purpose of each of these institutions. And when they accomplish his idea and purposes, then people are blessed. When they do not, people suffer. But the ideas are still good ideas. And to rebel against government completely is to rebel against, against that which God has established. And we, we must strive to make it work. And in our country, we, the people, are the government. And we have to be involved in order for that government to accomplish its job. Paul wrote this statement in the context of the Roman Empire, don't you know? A government where a lot of things were wrong. A government where Christianity had been declared illegal. Where a crazy Caesar named Nero had just come to power. And where sin and immorality ran rampant among Rome's leaders. And yet, Paul, in that context, says, there is no authority except that which God has established. Authority is simply whatever powers may be. Whether they are local powers, state powers, or national powers, it doesn't differentiate. In our case, this is the president sitting in the White House, down all the way to dad and mom in each home, and every authority in between. God has established this so that our lives can be better. Whoever rebels against authority opposes the ordinance of God, and consequences follow. Which kind of government does God prefer? He doesn't say. Is the best kind a monarchy, an oligarchy, a republic, a dictatorship, a democracy? The Bible doesn't say. But it does say that God is overall, that God is sovereign. Even kings and presidents submit to God and must remember that. In two days, we're going to vote for president. As you know, some of us are worried about how it's going to turn out. Maybe our candidates will not win. I want to tell you something this morning. God is not going to be staying up late Tuesday night. He's not going to be anxiously waiting to hear how the count comes in. He's not going to be pacing the floors of heaven, hoping that America makes the right choices, because he's in control. He is still in control. He is still sovereign. And no matter who is elected president, our role as Christians is to support the government, to impact our culture, and to be salt and light in this world. So as we see what the Bible says about government, don't miss this point. God has the ability to accomplish his will in spite of and even through less than godly rulers. He has done it many times. He can do it again. According to Romans 13, then, what is the purpose of government? It's twofold. First of all, government is to restrain evil. Governments have a God-given right, God-given responsibility to punish evil. It is government's job to keep the peace between people so that they can live and work together. Government maintains order. Government pre prevents anarchy. Those who commit evil are punished, or the whole thing falls apart. We make laws so that people can live together without killing each other. Some people rightfully say we cannot legislate morality. That's true. There is not a law on earth to make you or me moral. That is why we have to legislate against immorality. Do you see the difference? 
You can't legislate and make people good or loving or kind, but you can legislate against their actions that are not good or loving or kind and hurt other people. Laws are written against certain actions so that individuals and society as a whole are not hurt. But laws can't be written to make us good. No law can make you love me. So we need ones to keep you from hurting me. <laughs> no law can make you honest. So we need to have laws that keep you from stealing from someone else. Government is here to restrain evil. That's its first function. The second function or purpose of government is to reward good. To tell you what good is and to, to reward when you act in that way. If you don't want to drive freely down the highway without having to constantly look in your rearview mirror for the flashing lights of a state trooper, then keep your speed under the speed limit. Or pretty close. Now some of us have a real hard time doing that. But you will be rewarded in not being pulled over if you're obeying the laws of the driving situation. By the way, one preacher said the last part of the body to get saved is our right foot. And, <laughs> and uh, he may be right about that. That's why we have to, to have these rules so that Good behavior is rewarded. Do you want to avoid the fear of getting audited by the IRS? Then pay your taxes on time, as you should. Freedom is enjoyed. Freedom is maintained when we don't violate the laws of the land. And that's how government rewards good. Government should support and encourage what is right. Government is supposed to honor good citizens and support just causes, right causes. Now listen here very carefully. Nothing that is morally wrong should ever be politically correct. Nothing that is morally wrong should ever be politically correct. That's where the problem lies in America today. That's why we're shifting away from the truth and the country is going downhill on that, that reason. That's where the problems come. What happens when our laws actually allow and encourage immorality? Instead of restraining evil, instead of rewarding good, our country is now condoning evil and punishing good. Do you see the difference? Do you see what I'm talking about? I think you do. When we make it legal to kill innocent, unborn children, when we make it legal for homosexuals to marry, we are rebelling against God's laws. We are rebelling against the truth that we know from God. And government is mixing it all. It's getting, getting things backwards, and we have to do whatever we can do to stop that. Government's purpose is to restrain evil and to reward good. And we need to get our country back on the right track. Thankfully, as Americans, we can influence this. We can make a difference as citizens. So that's the purpose of government. What is our responsibility? Paul also talks about that in Romans 13. He says, first of all, Christians have this major responsibility to obey. It's obedience. We are to subject ourselves to the governing authorities over us. We are told to obey the civil laws and statutes. Paul told Titus, he said, remind your people in your church to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. See, it's the same formula that Peter had. For this is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
Now there's one time, one set of circumstances, I should say, where we could disobey. The only occasion when we can justify disobedience to the civil authorities is when their laws or statutes violate the laws and statutes of God. And then we go with God. In Acts chapter 5, we have a great example of that. Luke tells us about Peter and the, the other apostles. As, as the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go into the temple and I want you to preach about Jesus. Tell everybody about Jesus. And so they're in there doing that. The authorities arrest them. And they said, we've already told you we don't want you to do that. And they said, you must stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter answered, said, you know, we must obey God rather than men. That's what Acts 5 says. The authorities flogged them. They beat them. And they ordered them again not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. But the apostles went right back to preaching about Jesus again. In fact, Luke says they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. What they knew was that God's law is a higher law than man's. And we need to stand up for it nonviolently and be ready to pay whatever consequences may come. In the Old Testament, Daniel, we talked about, Last week, he was commanded not to pray, but he did so anyway, and he thought he might be killed for that, but it was still the right thing to do. It was against the law of the land, but he's still going to pray to God three times a day. The three young Hebrew friends that he had were told to bow before the golden image of the king, but they refused to do so, knowing that they were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace and probably die. They expected to die, but God stepped in, intervened, and saved their lives. John the Baptist spoke against King Herod's adultery, and later on, he was beheaded only because he was in prison, because he had spoken against the king. And the king was maliciously uh, granting the request of his uh, wife and her daughter. So that's a, a first obe uh, obedience is the first responsibility. Second one is to pay taxes, to pay customs. Jesus paid his taxes. He even said, render unto Caesar whatever is Caesar's. In the last part of Matthew 17, we have an interesting story. Jesus and Peter are, are with each other, and a, a customs official from the, the temple comes up, and he says, it's time for you to pay your temple tax. Uh, is, your, is your master going to pay that? And Peter tells Jesus what they're asking for, and he says, I want you to go down to the lake and go fishing. First fish you catch, pull it in, open its mouth. You're going to find a coin in there. It's going to be enough money to pay for both of us for the temple tax. Peter went down, got the fish, pulled out this drachma, and he paid the tax right there. Taxes are not fun to pay, but we need to pay them. Our ever-increasing taxes have become a great bird to us, and thankfully in our country, we can influence voting, we can influence the representatives who represent us, so that things can change in that in time if we are diligent about that. But we have an obligation to pay them. That's one of our responsibilities as a Christian. Arthur Godfrey once put it this way. He says, I'm proud now to be paying taxes in the United States. The only thing, I could be just as proud for half the money. <laughs> you know, I would be just as proud of it if you charged me half as much. Third responsibility, honor and respect. Honor and respect. Give everyone you owe him. If respect, respect. If honor, then honor. First Peter 2 17 simply says, honor the king. Even when we disagree with or dislike a leader, we need to be respectful of their position and respectful of them as a person. 
We may argue against their policies or platform, but we should do so respectfully. And it, it, it kind of aggravates me when I read some of the some of the banter going on, you know, on Facebook or on uh, websites where people are just totally uh, negative, totally critical against our leadership and start into the name calling and all the other things that are part of that sometimes and lose all sense of respect for the office and the person in that office. In addition, in our honor and respect, we should be grateful for the service and the sacrifices made by people in authority. I think of the policemen and the firemen and this, the troops, and, and I think about the government leaders who are so dedicated, who tirelessly work for our communities and our nation so that our lives can be better. We need to find ways to respect them, even if you don't agree with them on every point. Final responsibility is prayer. Intercessory prayer. 1 Timothy 2 is a passage that we need to read for that. And in 1 Timothy 2 it says, I urge then, first of all, the request, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings, for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. In writing this, Paul knew that in a, an environment where there is greater peace, there is greater opportunity for the spread of the gospel. And so he prayed for that. He encouraged prayer for that. The greatest thing that we can do for our country is pray. We can get active. We can voice our opinion. We can write till we're, you know, our hands are, are, are worn out and numb. But the best thing you can ever do for your nation and for its leaders is pray. They have a difficult task. They need God's wisdom and guidance. Even when we disagree, even when we have justifiable criticism of them, we must continue to pray for them because God can change any man's heart, even a king or a president. And through the power of prayer, Christians exert influence over their government, no matter how corrupt it might become. If they don't have a vote, if they don't have a say in who is elected as we do, they can still pray for the leader, and I'm sure there were many Christians still prayed for Nero when he became Caesar of Rome. I want to share one last thing. Our system of government is based on the premise that moral and righteous people would be involved in the political process. That is what a republic is about. That is that moral and righteous people would select people who share their godly values to pass and enforce laws that are moral and righteous in character, that reflect God's wishes, God's ways, God's truth. And so we must choose our leaders with great care. One of our forefathers, John Adams, warned, our form of government is meant for the rule of a religious and moral people and is wholly inadequate for any other. Our form won't work for a people without principle or conscience but will degenerate to chaos. He is absolutely right. We must vote for the truth. We must side with God. And when we do, when we cast our vote in accordance with what he has revealed to be his will for man, then God is honored. 
Samuel Adams said, He therefore is the truest friend to the liberty of his country who tries most to promote its virtue and who so far as his power and influence extend will not suffer a man to be chosen into any office of power and trust who is not a wise and virtuous man. If we vote for the wrong people in their character and in their, their uh, commitment to truth, then the shame is on us, in other words. Noah Webster wrote the first American dictionary, but also partially responsible for portions of our Constitution. He agreed with Samuel Adams. This is what he said. The moral principles and precepts contained in the Scriptures ought to form the basis of our Constitution and laws. Let it be impressed on your mind that God commands you to choose for rulers just men who will rule in the fear of God. The preservation of a republican government depends on the faithful discharge of this duty. It begins with us. If the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, the government will soon be corrupted. If a republican government fails to secure public prosperity and happiness, it must be because the citizens neglect the divine commands and elect bad men to make and administer the laws. Jesus said that we're to be salt and light in our community. We know that. We know that when it comes to evangelism. We know when it comes to telling the truth about Jesus, the only Savior of the world, the good news. But there's more to it than that. In America, we have a government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people. And unlike many other nations, all the people of America have a say in what goes on. And we do that through voting for those who represent us. Your vote matters, and you should exercise your, vote, your right to have influence over the affairs of the nation. God has given you, as an American Christian, a voice and a vote. We are the salt of this nation. And Jesus said, once it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Your vote, your vote and your voice can make a difference. The only hope for our nation is truth, God's truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is in the word of God. And we Christians have a responsibility to stand for the truth and to help others know the truth. When our leaders are turning from God and the truth, we must have the courage to declare what is right and true and good. We do that with our vote. Nathan confronted King David about his sin when no one else would. Elijah stood up to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Daniel stood before Nebuchadnezzar and told him what God had said about him. John the Baptist called out King Herod. The apostles obeyed God rather than the Jewish Sanhedrin. And if this country does not hear the truth from the body of Christ, the church, where will it hear it? We, the people, must serve as the conscience of this nation. If man's laws are opposed to God, we must champion what God says the most effective way we can. Silence is not an option. We must not be intimidated by the ACLU or others who keep crying foul whenever we speak within our rights. Even if it becomes one day to be illegal to speak against abortion or same-sex marriage, we will still have to speak against them because that is God's way and we will cling to God's way. And in America, where we have the freedom to vote our conscience, how can we vote for anyone whose political platform opposes God's law? During Paul's day, 
the Roman government filled the Colosseum with about 50,000 people about every day to watch a horrible spectacle, to watch Christians being murdered by wild animals for sport. The people in the stands cheered. It was one of the most brutal and barbaric things man has ever done to man. But underneath that Colosseum in the catacombs, other Christians were praying, praying to God to change what was going on over their heads. And God did change those games. He stopped those games. And he can change what is happening in America. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, God said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. I invite you now to pray with me for our country, for our country's leaders, and for this coming election. Let's bow together. Father, I pray today with all the humility that I can possibly muster that you'll hear our prayers. We confess our failings. We confess our sin. We confess our sin as a nation. We confess our silence as Christians. We confess uh, the times that we avoid discussions that we could have had. That maybe we've even missed the opportunity to vote or express our opinion to someone who represents us, to our community or our state or our nation. Lord, I confess that sometimes we get all caught up in uh, the pursuit of material things. And we forget that there is a, 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 greater, a greater battle going on. We confess, Lord, that sometimes we have just given up. We've thought the situation hopeless, and so we didn't say anything. This election is an opportunity, again, for us to stand for what is right and to vote according to your wishes. You have not told us who to vote for, but you have told us what is true and right and good. And Lord, I pray that each of us will follow whatever your laws are and that we will stand up for them. Lord, I pray for our leaders. Many of them want to know your wisdom. Some do not. But we pray that all of them uh, will have the influence of your Holy Spirit on their lives. Maybe to convict them. Maybe to convince them. Maybe to change their minds. And I pray that beyond all of the government issues, all of the political process, that you will continue to the work in the hearts and minds of individuals. The greatest work we can do in, as being salt and light is individually to touch the lives of our neighbors, to tell them your truth, and to tell them about the way and the truth and the life, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, keep us in the game, keep us in the, the arena, and that we would uh, just bathe all of this with prayer, knowing that we cannot do it without you. I pray for each person here today who will be voting on Tuesday, and so many millions more. Uh, that our, our minds and hearts will be focused on you as we do that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing a song of praise. Would you stand, please?